Welcome to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we seek biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. This is Garland. And uh, hey, today we're going to talk about marriage and, and what the Bible has to say about marriage and some particular challenges to that. You know, when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, the, the logic seems pretty clear that there are two that become one. That, that's marriage, this two and one. Right. And it's, it's built around the complement of genders that you have a male and a female, and because there are two genders, we have two people in a marriage covenant of one. Mm-hmm. Two people, one one covenant. Uh, and so that, so that's plurality a, becoming one. Plurality becoming plural, one. Plurality and unity. Built around two and one. Mm-hmm. And so that seems to be what's laid out in the design in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And then we look to the New Testament. We see Jesus reaffirming this when he's be, trying to be trapped in yep. some difficult theological questions. He refers all the way back to Seemingly a, a, a simple concept, Genesis 1 and 2 points all the way back to that when he, when he talks about marriage. And we see Paul doing the exact same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. They both go back to this Genesis 1 and 2 concept. Okay, so one of the things I hear a lot when people are talking about a biblical definition of marriage, one of the objections I hear is that Genesis 1 and 2 is not the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, in Genesis 1 and 2 we see monogamous heterosexual marriage, but look at almost every key figure in the Old Testament and you're going to see men with multiple wives. Mm-hmm. So the argument is that destroys any, any kind of integrity of a right. scriptural view of marriage. Right. So what do we do with that? With, mm-hmm. with, on the one hand, this apparently heterosexual monogamous design of marriage, and then all these men of God who live in polygamous relationships. What do we do with that? When it catches you off guard, too. When yep. you read it, uh, if you've never read the Old Testament, as you, as you, as you walk through it, it's, it's not one or two guys it's all over the place. And these yeah. are some of the heroes yeah. uh, that we have of, the, of our faith. And so it's a, it's a really uh, difficult question. And maybe the first question is, does the Bible disqualify itself on yeah. this particular topic? Yeah. Uh, does it set up something and then disqualify itself as you turn the pages of the scripture? And uh, as we begin to unpack this kind of cultural question that we have to uh, look at and face, uh, it, there's an interpretive uh, lens by which we can read the Bible. And we do it with every piece of literature that we read. The first question that's often helpful to ask is, what am I reading? Is this poetry? Right. Is this narrative? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, am I listening to a song? Uh, is this something that is, uh, is this a, a poetry slam? Those are all different genres of literature. And so when we read the scripture, it's helpful to first start with what genre is this? Okay. And then a secondary question as we, as we look into especially narrative. So yep. if we're in a narrative section of Scripture, which is a lot of our Old Testament, right. as we look at narrative sections of Scripture like the book of Acts, mm-hmm. uh, the, the key interpretive question becomes, is this descriptive? Does this describe things that happened? Right. Or is this prescriptive? Does this prescribe how one is supposed to live? Right. And sometimes that simple interpretive question can help make sense of some of these really difficult questions. And so when we look at our Old Testament, what we see the Bible doing is describing lots of things that we would consider and that God considers vile, heinous, evil, and terrible. That's an important point. And just to to jump in, because what we have in the Bible, we would argue, is also history. There are events Correct. that actually happened. Right. This isn't like Aesop's fables where they're all constructed to make an ideal point. Right. And so the, they might, all the stories might not be ideal. Right. They, yeah. might not, they, they might just be, this is what happened for better or for worse. This is 
What in fact, they're, they're most often the, whatever the opposite of ideal is. <laughs> the opposite uh, of ideal. They're, yeah. they're gross. They're vile. And so when okay. you look at, uh, at these characters in the Old Testament, what we see the Bible doing is describing the brokenness and the mess of humanity. Okay. What's, what's interesting is when polygamy comes up, and pick the figure. Let's go with Solomon just because he might be the prime example of this. Yeah, he's he uh, ultimately not ideal. And yes. we look at if, if ideal is Genesis one and two, Solomon's the opposite of that. Uh, when we look at Solomon, for example, this man of wisdom, this man who seems to genuinely want and desire to love the Lord. Interrupt real quick, yeah, just for people who might not know, who is Solomon? Solomon was the king of ancient Israel. Okay. Uh, he was the son of King David. Okay. And uh, he's the one, kind of the famous story of Solomon, who asked for wisdom from the Lord. Uh, you might say he's the high watermark of the nation of Israel as a kingdom. Okay. Uh, cool. And so, yet, he had not... A couple wives. <laughs> it seems to be hundreds, hundreds of wives, and there is a political issue in sure. the in the ancient culture that's that's in play here. Uh, but what's interesting as we look at the descriptions that the Bible gives of these characters, when polygamy enters into the equation, there's a subtle, there's a subtle. Uh, kind of undercurrent mm -hmm. in all of the narrative that oftentimes that's when those people's lives begin to go off the rails. Right. That's when things get really weird for them. That's where they begin to uh, have moral failure. They begin to equivocate. Right. They begin to compromise. They begin to, uh, the, the, the narrative itself oftentimes, once polygamy comes in, it will make assessing comments based on how the story goes mm -hmm. that this is not God's best. This is not what God has in mind. And so, uh, the, the question, prescriptive or descriptive, is really important. Uh, the Bible will describe uh, murder. The Bible will describe rape. But I don't think that means that that means God endorses right. murder, endorses rape. And I think the same thing is, uh, I would say, explicitly clear when it comes to marriage. We have this institution of marriage designed by God in the first two chapters of the Bible. And then we see the description in the narratives as they unfold of that going completely sideways with a subtle comment that this is not good. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean when we see this description that God is endorsing right. and for polygamy. So we need to take the descriptive texts of what happened with where we do actually get commentary from God. Yes. So when God does speak about what is good in marriage, He's not endorsing polygamous marriage. When we find that commentary, Correct. we don't find him giving the thumbs up to what's happening. When God seems to be prescribing his view of marriage, Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus reaffirming this in Matthew 19, Matthew 22, and Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, it's all the same picture. Okay. Uh, and so we can be clear, I think, on the prescription, uh -huh. what marriage is supposed to be. Yeah. And then when we see evidences of that going completely off and completely wrong, uh, I think that we can... I think it's fair to judge that as something that was not what God intended. Uh, and we can see those as elements of people taking matters into their own hands, walking in sin. And yet God still used these people. God still used these people in amazing what ways. What do we do with that? That these people are walking in what we would go, I mean, sin, not God's best. And yet God's using them in powerful ways. How do you, what do you, how do you reconcile that? To, to me, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about the Bible yeah. is the Bible doesn't depict, and I think this is a misconception, the Bible does not depict a bunch of perfect people mm -hmm. who come to God with their perfect moral record and present it to God and are therefore accepted by God. The Bible basically depicts human brokenness, frailty, screw-ups, sin. The Bible depicts one person who is perfect, mm -hmm. and that's the second person of the Trinity, the Son being sent for us. And 
the crazy thing is the only perfect person we see in the Bible got crucified for it. Uh, God entered into a broken, messed up, frail, fragile, selfish, sexually immoral world to redeem, it, to redeem people out of it, to save, rescue people from that brokenness. And so uh, it is, should be of great comfort mm -hmm. to all of us listening to this and all of us who read the Bible that God can use yeah. even broken, messed up people whose moral record is completely stained with tons and tons and tons of screw-ups and brokenness, selfishness, and sin. So if our, if our story were, I mean, that's, that's compelling and powerful, and if our, if our story were, look at these heroes and founders of our faith. That be like them. Be like them, then we'd have a real problem. Right. Um, but what we're saying is that Jesus is not just another one of the great men of faith. Mm -hmm. We're saying he's radically unlike the great men of faith. He's, and he was crucified for it. He was crucified for it. <laughs> and pick, pick your character. Pick your hero. Yeah. Every single one of them, the Bible goes out of its way to include their mess-ups. Uh, and to me, that gives great validity and credibility to the Scripture. And man, it shows us the goodness, grace, and mercy of the God of the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I, think, I think this was... I think clarifying for me, and actually it leads us to a great place of grace for understanding that this area of brokenness is like so many others that God was patient and gracious with people who were not living rightly um, until the one who came who lived perfectly rightly and, and died for our brokenness, entered into our mess to redeem us from it. So uh, it's helpful. Thanks. Thanks for, for commenting. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discuss the question, does the Bible endorse polygamy? We encourage you to look into this for yourself even more and recommend looking in scripture at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, 1 Kings 11, Matthew 19 verses 1 through 9, Titus 1 5, and Ephesians 5 22 through 33. We also recommend the books Is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copen and The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.